Father, we thank you. We praise you for this morning, this evening, O oh Lord. You're a good God. Your mercy endures forever. Yes, Lord, even, even as we have sung, O oh Lord. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Here's our heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts. Father, even, even as we are here in the season of Advent, O oh Lord, I pray, Father, that you would, Lord, speak to our hearts as to what it mean, what it, what it meant for you to come down, O oh Lord. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord, during this time of the year, O oh Lord. And even as we prepare ourselves, Lord, Father, for the next year, if you, if you should tarry to come, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you would minister to us, O oh Lord, this evening. Surrender each one of us into your hands, O oh Lord, Father. Speak to us clearly. Let there be clarity. Anoint us, all of us, even as I speak, and all of us, even as we hear. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say in this last hour of time. To that end, we pray, Lord, Father, that you would bless the speaking and the hearing of this word. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. So, uh, still in the Christmas season, so uh, we'll speak about uh, last time. Last time we looked at Isaiah chapter nine and a specific part of Isaiah chapter nine, which I want to look at uh, look at this evening. I've titled uh, today's sermon as "Government Upon His Shoulders." So we'll try to understand what that is. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 and 7, part, the first part of 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Why? Because to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Very important. It is to us. God didn't need anything of this sort. He didn't need to come. Okay, it's very specific. He says, it is unto us. It is not for anybody else. It is not even for God. God didn't need us to love Him. Okay, or to show His love. He was absolutely content through all eternity to be with His Father. But it is unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Just note that point. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We looked at that in some measure uh, last time. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You see, the government upon his shoulder and the increase of his government. Two things, very clear. You see, um, if you looked, if you remember the vision that Daniel got, he says there was a small stone, there was a huge statue with all those different nations, different kingdoms being being uh, uh, mentioned, and then there's a small stone which is wrought without hands, and then that comes and breaks the the image, and then it just keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing. That's what he's talking about. The government is coming. The government will be upon his shoulder, though. What does that mean? What does that mean that there will be an increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end? What does that mean? What does those two statements mean? We'll try to understand that today. But look at this very interesting thing though. There's a transition from child to son. (laughs) To us, a child is born, that is technon in the Septuagint, 
and a son is given. That is Ruas. We know it by this time. If you if you've been to Christ Tabernacle, so child is born, but he was not given until he became a son. Okay, that's very interesting, though. God didn't just allow him to die when he was a child. He became a 30-year-old man and when he was 33 and a half years old, then he was a son. When he goes through the waters of baptism and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he is the one who has been given as a spotless lamb without blemish to the world. I just wanted to mention that. You'll see that in Romans chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. Concerning his son who was descended from the seed of David according to the flesh and is declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness... By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He did not become the Lord unless he went through a process of suffering, of dying, tasting death. Not just on the cross, but every day of his life in in a measure. He was carrying a cross right from the time. And then he became Lord. You see, government just didn't come upon his shoulder just like that. It There's a process that he had to go through. And he explained this process to his disciples when uh, James and uh, John, the sons of thunder, sent a recommendation letter okay, through his mother. Please grant one will sit on the left and one on the right and you know the discourse, what happens. And all the disciples are upset. And this is what he says. Look at what he says in Mark's Gospel chapter 10 verse 44. For even the son of man did not come to be served. That is how he's going to take the government. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the total upside down kingdom. You know, Sheldon Mangera sang that song in Hindi, in Telugu, English. Welcome to the upside down kingdom. It is true. You see, how is he going to establish his government? He's going to establish his government by serving and not ruling. That is how he's going to do it. And then he, when they fight with each other, he calls all of those guys and he says, you know what guys, hold on. This is not, this is not how the kingdom works. This is what he says in chapter 10 verse 41 onwards. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. They were all upset because they didn't get the idea first. <laughs> See, that's the reason why they were upset. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It's like this, the kingdom, you know, we keep on telling in our church, the the kingdom of this world is like a pyramid. The guy in the top enjoys all the power and the guy in the bottom, they bear the brunt. You see, that is the reason why during tax time only the taxpayers are the people who are employees. They are the people who get all the time irritated. The, the, the business people and all the other people escape. You see, the bulk of the tax is, the burden of the tax is on the, on the taxpayer. I mean, you guys know it, no? And when you are in IT and, and you have to file your tax returns by the end of the year, oh my goodness, kaisa ho gaya ye sab kuch? It's gone. Yeah? And then he goes on to say, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great. Oh. But by the way, there is nothing wrong in uh, desiring to be, become great, but he says there's a path that you should, that you, that you should take. You shall be a servant and whoever of your desires to be a, uh, to be first shall be slave to all. 
uh, and you remember this, I mean, just, just to, to put this in context, you know, they, they said, grant us that we may sit one on your right and one on the left. See, um, when you see, and whoever desires to be first shall be slave to all. Whoever desires to become great shall be your servant. You know, one of the things that we think about in Christendom, I, I mean, I've seen that in my own life. When we look at a commandment, first thing, or rather even if you're unregenerate or if you're born again, whatever, whatever be your situation, you're born again or not born again. One of the things most of us do, we look at the commandment, we say, let's do it. Okay, Let's become servants. Let's become slaves. You said, Jesus, this is the path to become, to becoming great, to becoming great. Okay, let us become servants. Okay. Let us become slaves. You see, that is what we, that's the, it's the, it's the default response of, of genuine, I mean, if you're really, you know, you want to uh, please the Lord, the first default response is, Lord, I want to do it. You're not been praying more. Let's pray from today. You're not been reading the Bible more. Let's read the Bible more. You see, let's fellowship. Let's come to fellowship more. See, this is how most of us think. The default mode is action mode. But then Jesus says, if you desire to become a great, you should become a servant. But you need to understand it is considered, it is connected with desire. You see? See, you need to understand you can never truly be a servant unless the desire is affected first. You see? Understand that? Okay. Something has to happen with our desires because that has got to do with our heart. You see, um, you know, because no, nobody really truly serves without expecting anything in return. Okay. You see that, um, Yesu nannu preminchinavu, there's a song in Telugu. Yesu nannu preminchinavu, papi naina, nannu preminchinavu. Jesus, you loved me even when I was a sinner. And then he says, Navanti narudakodu. Meaning, he says, if there is a man who is loving me, even though he loves me, there is there is nothing unconditional about his love. Somehow, somewhere he is expecting at least a thank you. Then he says, Meaning, you didn't have anything. I, mean, I couldn't just give you nothing back. Yet you loved me, Yesu. Nannu. So it's that that is a kind of a heart that Jesus is looking at. So when when we say let's let's go and do it, I mean unless there is a radical shift in the way that we desire something from our heart, you can never really do it with joy. Because God loves her. Ah you see, cheerful giver is not an easy thing. Let's become cheerful. You cannot become cheerful. Let's let's no it's an attitude. How can you just manufacture cheer? You see. Something has happened, should happen with your desire. So, when they, when they said to the disciples, disciples, okay, you should become a servant. They said, yes, we will become a servant. How do I know it? Look at what he, what he says in the previous verses. They said to him, grant us that we may sit on your right hand, on your right, one on the right and one on the left during the glory. But Jesus said, do you know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am able to be baptized with? We are able. Oh really? <laughs> you see, come on, let's do it, Jesus. Come on, let's do it. We are able. Oh. He's going to prove to them how miserably they're going to fall in a few chapters. You know, that's exactly how many Christians do it. 
Come on, let's start giving. Let's start giving. But they have really not dealt with their desires. Gospel does something very, the government upon issue, you need to understand what does this mean? How do we, how do we do this is something which I want to look at. Um, very carefully. So he's going to prove them that they're going to all, all fail. You see, Jesus has to prove to us that we will all fail. See, until we really have not failed miserably, you see, then we will, then we will not Still there will be an element of self-righteousness in us. Something God might have seen in me that he has loved me. No, 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 no. God has to shatter all our, all our dreams about ourselves. Look at this. So he has to prove that. So he proves to them in the next uh, chapter. Not one of the next chapters. Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn. I'll come to that. I mean, this is Jesus, okay. He's, just, he's about to die. What is that? He's about to? And he sings a hymn. You know, this is remarkable actually, you know. This is a, it is an attitude, okay. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven, heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven nature sing. Okay, the nature starts singing. Heaven starts singing, but there's one fellow who will still not sing. So next, he writes the next stanza. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. What should men do? Let men their songs employ. Let me tell you something. So many of us have unemployed songs. No, your songs have no employment at all. We have unemployed people in the church because we have unemployed songs. Period. And I say that categorically. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, that I, that I, that I, uh, you know, whenever I travel with pastor, he's always singing that song, Nazareoda. I mean, you, you, you knock him on his door, he whistles that song. He's employing, I mean, and, and, and it actually shames me that he being a malu, he can sing a guilty song. And he loves it. And he says, Vijay, I like that song. You know why? Because I like that man. Humble man. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Shame on us. You know, this word shame on us was used by two people. One is Martin Luther. He said, shame on you. I mean, that is how he used to preach. Shame on you, you fellas. I mean, the, actually it's a euphemism for yuck. Yuck! Can you imagine a preacher coming onto the pulpit and saying, yuck, you Christians. Shame on you. And I was reading a book by J.R. Packer. <laughs> Recently I started reading it. It's called, a book called uh, Knowing God. I think one of the most incredible books I've read in my life. I'm just reveling in it. I've just been one fourth through the book and he, and one of the chapters he says, we as Christians have to ask God the grace to be ashamed. That is two people and other people in the contemporary times, you know, use that. Zach Punan. We should hang our heads in shame. Why? Because we don't have a song. Our songs are unemployed. Mm-hmm. You see? We don't sing. 
unemployed songs. Okay, that is just a detour on, uh, I, I wish I could preach a sermon called Gaining the Heart of Worship. But that is a different topic. But you see, you have a song. Do you have a song, children? Do you sing? Is it there? Where you constantly, you know why? Because some man said, tell me who is the songwriter of the generation and tell them what they're, where they are going. Why? Why? Why is this important? Because arts and poetry have a powerful influence on galvanizing the will by circumventing the intellect. They have. You know what it says in, 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 in Ephesians? We are God's what? Workmanship. You know what the word workmanship means? We are God's poem. Created in Christ Jesus. For, you know what he's doing is actually writing a poem called Vijay. Can you imagine Vijay with an unemployed song? The irony that he's a poem and he has no song. It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Why don't we not have a song? Do you have a song? Do you have a song that you keep singing to yourselves? That is the reason why if you've seen one of the videos that we got on WhatsApp, this guy was getting martyred. He's going to this death singing. How? How come? How come? Well, we'll come to that. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out Mount, Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, Scripture has to be fulfilled because it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I raised up, raised, uh, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered, though oh, they all fall away. <laughs> I will not fall away. Peter, I'm going to do something worse. I am going to allow you sovereignly for three people who are going to come and confront you and then you're going to deny me thrice and you're going to speak in your mother tongue. In your mother tongue. You know what I'm talking about, right? Matrubhasha. Samskritam. Samskritam Badagasal. And he has to fall. See, therefore, therefore you need to understand, you cannot have this government, you cannot enjoy this government unless something happens to you. And that is the gospel. Martin Luther, I've mean, I mean, just been listen, reading a lot of literature by Martin Luther and one of the things that he says is fantastic. Um, Martin Luther in his uh, sermons on the Advent, look at what he says. In every gospel lesson, we are to notice especially two thoughts. The works of Christ as a gift to us and the works of Christ as an example for us. Notice that. The works of Christ as a gift. Unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The first thing is a gift. The works of Christ as a gift. And the works of Christ as an example. What happens, what we want to do is we want to follow the example without receiving the gift. You see? That's the point. It's like putting the... uh the cart before the ox, so to speak. We're trying to push and push and earn our salvation. It's not going to happen. So there are two works, therefore. What Christ has accomplished for us as a gift. That is what we call a substitution. What Christ will accomplish in us incrementally by causing us to live his life through us. That is what we call as imitation. There's substitution 
there is imitation. And this concept is throughout scripture. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter uh, 2 to 21. This is substitution to imitation. For this you, for to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered substitution. See that? Christ also suffered for you. You see that? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. So that Jesus suffered for you. So that you can follow his example. You see? The first thing we need to really, really understand what it is. What is the substitution? We'll try to understand that. Another place. First Peter chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. Why? Christ also suffered for sins. Whose sins? Not his sin. Our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Another place. I'm sure another place. First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. That's a substitution. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You see that? There is always substitution first and imitation next. That is how the whole order is. You can never circumvent the order. So what is the gospel therefore? What is the gospel? Gospel is not advice to be followed. Okay? It is news, good news about what has already been accomplished. Yeah. You need to understand that. See, most of us, we tr- see, how do I know that I'm, I'm being said, everybody will say, because I do this, 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 I do this. I'm not being a Calvinist, okay? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there is no works which accompany salvation. Yes, Martin Luther said, you're saved by faith alone, apart from the works of the law, but the faith that saves is not alone, it is accomplished, is accompanied by works, of course. But the ten, the works have a right place and we never circumvent the order. Okay? You need to understand that. Gospel is not advice to be followed. It is news, good news about what has been accomplished. What is that? What is good news? Good news. What is, what does it mean? What is good news? This is good news about a king who came, who got a victory, who established peace and established his authority. He has accomplished that. And that is the good news that is being preached to us. And therefore, we take that good news and live our life. That is how the whole thing works. Okay. We'll see this. How does this happen uh, in the, the the gospel according to uh, what? How does the gospel accomplish this in Acts chapter twenty-eight? We'll see that uh, this is Paul uh, talking to uh, the the emperor. And he says to the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified in faith. You notice the order. Notice the order. Very specific. I'm going to put the order here. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. What should I do? First to open their eyes. Then to turn them from darkness to light. Then from the power of Satan to God. Then that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Then an inheritance among being among those who are being sanctified. You see, first something God has to do and then that work progresses into sanctification. You see? And most of us, we get the whole thing upside down. Turned up. Turn it on the other side. In the, at the center of it, however, is there's one thing. The power of Satan to God. You see? There's a very interesting psalm, right? Why are you downcast, O my soul? 
and why is the, you are disquieted within me? And then he says, hope thou in God. What's a very interesting thing? What has happened to you? Why are you downcast? Most of the time you are downcast because your hopes are not in God. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. It is not on my works, Lord. My glory and the lifter of my head, I cry unto the Lord with my voice. We are people who are, look, how do I know that I'm a believer? How do I know I'm accepted? It is, I have seen that even in my own life. There is no freedom to serve because we have really, really not apprehended this truth in our own life first. Try to give you an example. Power of Satan to power of God. What is that? Again, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us or translated us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son. How? Of His love. Okay. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's a first thing God does to us. He takes us from the dominion of fear to the dominion of unconditional love. That's what he does. That is the reason why Jesus came, to show us love. 1 John chapter 4, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has, I mean, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see? It's most of us, this is, this is what our, our experience is, you know? We try to gain love, gain approval by our works. God says, hold on. That is not the gospel. We may have known this, but let us remember this again. One of the things that I read these days, I've been reading a lot on um, the Reformation. You know, one of the if you read any commentary on the book of Romans, every commentary on the book of Romans has a conversion of Martin Luther. How did he get converted? It's really powerful. Look at what he says in, uh, this is Martin Luther's conversion. Okay, this is in, in his own words. I labored diligently and anxiously as to understand Paul's words, the expression, the righteousness of God. Block the way. Why did it block the way? Because I took it to mean the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against Him. You see, you know what Martin Luther said? Do you love God? He said, this love, this God, I hate Him. Why? Whenever I see the righteousness of God, I look at my own life and look at the standard. You see, that is the reason why in every time, if you come to the, come to any, to any church service, what happens is that the endeavor is to exalt the holiness of God so that when the holiness of God is exalted, what, what happens? Lord, I cannot earn this Lord unless you do something to me. You see, that is the, that is the natural response. You can never earn the righteousness of God unless it is given as a gift. So Martin Luther, when he was reading the Bible, he was, he used to hate it. He said, what kind of a God is this? I remember this conversion. This uh, He was a monk. He used to always keep on confessing his sins, confessing his sins. He used to go to the confession chamber and for two hours, and the, and the guy would say, boy, this guy has come. Confession and confession, what he did. Uh, yesterday, last night, I lusted after the chicken piece of another guy. 
please, please, father, ask him to forgive me, etc., etc. He would go on and on and on and on and on. And then he would say, Mr. Luther, uh, Brother Luther, your sins have been forgiven. And the, when the priest used to announce that sins have been forgiven, he used to come out of the chamber, of the confession chamber, and he used to exhort, and he used to, he used to leap for joy, and then he used to go to his, his, his dormitory, and then he used to suddenly remember one sin that he did not confess, and all his joy is gone. So the next day he would go back to the confession chamber, and one day the priest got so frustrated, he said, Brother Luther! You have gone insane. Commit something worthy of confession. What is this? That's exactly what happened. He was an impeccable monk and he looked at the righteousness of God and he said, oh boy, who can attain to these standards? He was trying and trying and trying and trying in his own strength. And I'm telling you honestly, so many of us have really, really not been apprehended by the love of God because you are trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to gain approval. Approval from, from parents. Approval from spouse, you know, where for many wives, husband, pati devo bhava. That fellow, if he doesn't appreciate the food, such a word. Eating, eating, watching, watching. What happened? Why are you not saying anything? Have you heard that? Why are you not saying anything? So one thing I have realized now, whenever a woman cooks, I will always appreciate. <laughs> my, my mother says, Vijay, Because I understood, because you know for them, that approval, approval, Pati really is Devo. In other words, what happens is that when that Pati is not going to appreciate them, they are going to be shattered because that Pati has become an idol and that fellow is not big enough as God to become your idol. He cannot satisfy you. And for us, some others, for some, for some parents, children are idle. Look at my daughter. You become a big engineer. He's, what are you doing? He's playing with a cycle. Oh, what? He's going to prophesy over the sun. Engineer. You see, that's exactly what happens. You know, what you, you just make, and that fellow is going to shatter your miserable dream one day. For sure. You see? And many, 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 I'm talking about in, in Christian homes. I'm not, not talking about people outside. Where children have become idle. Spouses become idle. And, and, and sometimes, and you, you're trying to try, and this is there. You're trying to earn the approval of the eldership sometimes. Are today pastor didn't say anything. Poor man has got 150 things in his mind. Did it not? Was it not this? Was it not that? Was Why? You see, you are trying to gain approval through works. Don't you understand that? You know why? Because you are not completely, what do you call, satisfied in the love of God. Just fail to get words. Okay, this is what happened. And then what happened one day? He was reading and reading and reading Romans. And he said, what is this? What is this? He comes to Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. What is this? What is this? I mean, he's a very aggressive guy, okay? Very aggressive. I'll tell you something. He was aggressive as a monk and he was aggressive as a believer. Both ways. No two ways about it. He was banging his desk and he's reading 1, 16, 17, 16, 17. The gospel is a power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed and the word revelation is apocalyptos and suddenly something happened to his happened to his eyes, something opened and this is what he says, then I grasped the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sure mercy God justifies us by faith, thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise wow isn't that not, isn't, is it, is it not true for every one of us that one day when we were trying and trying and trying, failed and failed and failed and we were, we actually gave up. And we said, you know what? Are you resigned to a lifestyle of sin? And when you heard the gospel, I broke through. And I has, and as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most precious word. I loved it. The word righteousness of God. What happened? What happened to this man? Something happened. You know, sometimes hymns convey the meaning more than words. So let me just read a poem. A hymn. By Charles Wesley. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. You know this hymn, how many of us know it? You know, many of the modern versions conspicuously leave the second stanza. Look at what the second stanza says. This mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. This mercy all let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. He's saying, Okay, God is immortal, right? He can never die. You know, he can never die. You know, J.R. Packer in his book actually expounds this. He says, it is not a great mystery that God arose from the dead because he is eternal life. How can you make eternal life to cease to exist? And therefore it was natural from, for him, natural in the sense that, okay, let us, it was supernatural for him to raise from the dead. But the mystery therefore, however, is how did he cease to exist, however? How did he die? It is not just how did he die, why did he die? Because he could have saved himself from dying. That means there should have been a profound reason as to why he died. And then he, you know what, what Charles, Charles Wesley says? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Then I diffused the quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. You know, what should happen therefore? Something has to happen. You have to experience this love of God in such an incredible way. That is a supernatural, personal, subjective experience. It is just not something in your head. It is something not, it's just not something in your head. You can know the gospel in your mind, but you would have never experienced it in your life. There are so many believers who know the doctrine of justification by faith, but they have never experienced it in their own life. And then he says, no condemnation now are dead. Jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in his righteousness divine bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Jesus Christ my own amazing love how can it be that thou my savior my God should die for me Charles Wesley where do you find these songs these days you know what I read Spurgeon's sermons I'm not preaching Spurgeon sermons by the way if you read Spurgeon's sermons and any of these old men of God Tozer, Spurgeon Whitfield, 
doesn't matter. If you read the summons, you will find the summons interspersed with hymns. Absolutely. They were singers. They understood what it meant for God to save them. You see, And many of us, we still don't feel wretched. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. How many of you really feel wretched? I don't think so, many of us. We still try to earn. And God is waiting till the time you feel wretched like Jacob. He's contending with you, contending with you, contending with you. Yes, you know, I remember I was, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, listening to one of the sermons by this old man, you know, Telugu sermon. He said, we were all Jacob actually. Yes, we have the blessing of God, but we are all sinners. Sinners like Jacob. We are still Jacob. We have still not become Israel. Yes, the hand of God is over our life, but we still cannot experience God unless and until we experience the wretchedness and the hollowness of our own heart. That is the gospel, by the way. Hmm. And I, I get excited when I, when I listen to the gospel over and over again. No condemnation. Is that, is that your, is that your, is that your uh, experience, my dear brothers and sisters? Let me ask you. How many of you wake up in the morning with a song in your heart? If there is no song in your heart, how many of you say, Lord, there is no song in my heart. Why do I feel condemned? Why do I feel that I have to work out? Yes, I have to work out myself. Why do I work for my salvation? Why can't I just rest in no condemnation? Why? 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 Hmm. Charles Wesley and all these noble men of God, they experienced that. And I believe, you know, sometimes... Uh, when we read the Bible, you look at God of Abraham. 4,000, 6,000 years back, right? God of Jacob, another 200 years plus. God of uh, 200 or 300 years plus. God of Joseph. God of Moses. God of David. Okay, 100 years. God of Paul. How many years? 2,000 years. Then we come to Martin Luther, 500 years. Maybe Wilsley another 200 years back. Spurgeon another 100 years, 150 years back. And then look at all those things. What happens to us? Why don't we experience God? I'll tell you why we don't experience God. You know why we do not know or we do not apprehend the truth that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He does not change. The same God who justified Abraham can also justify you. He has not changed. You see, for most of us our God is actually dead. Or he is just a story. And therefore when we read it, when we come to church, there is no excitement. We have to prep you up. When every earthly prop gives way, you alone are my hope and stay on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Is that your experience? You see, even though these are all objective truths, they have to become subjective reality. And unless and until we have that subjective reality, that experience in our heart will never, ever, ever be useful in the kingdom of God. Ask God for that before the year ends. Spurgeon preached a sermon when he was 20 years old. 20 years old. I was reading that sermon and I looked at that and I said, I started weeping. I said, Lord, I'm twice almost. I don't experience you the way this man at 20 is experiencing. Where he says, you know what? My thoughts are always God's thoughts. I only think about God. 20 years? Think about all the 20 year olds here. Right now. What are your thoughts? And when I was 20 years old, I know what I was thinking, girls. Not God. If not girls, career. 
engineering job why so that i can get married to a girl you see my thoughts are not and i looked at that and said look this man is 20 years old and this is what he is writing shame on me lord there's no subjective experience there's something wrong i do not believe the same god who's the same God yesterday, today and forever is my God. And therefore I think that God has changed. I say, I don't say that with my lips, but I believe that God has changed. What he can do there, he cannot do now. You say, oh Lord, please help us this week, this, this, this coming, this Advent season that we will not forget. We will not forget the reason for the season as we so glibly say. And it has become a cliche in our jargon. Hmm. So what does God do? He breaks the first thing, he breaks the fear. You know what? It's that from the dominion of fear, he brings us to the dominion of unconditional love. And if you have not experienced love, you can never give love. I know, I'll tell you why people are unforgiving. Why people are bitter. Why people are angry. Why people are jealous. Why people are always envious and complaining and grumbling. Because they have never experienced forgiveness. Why can't they ex- give forgiveness easily? Because they have never experienced forgiveness. Why can't they stop gossiping? Because they have never experienced forgiveness. They, why can't they stop cheating and stealing? Because they have never experienced forgiveness. They are still crippled by fear and guilt. Many of us, even in this church, I know it for a fact. Ask yourself this question. How do you, did you have that subjective experience in your own life? Did you ask God, Lord, you are the same God, Lord? Touch me. I, I, I don't want to go to the rest of my life. Speaking about God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Paul and Whitfield and, and what have you even. My own pastor, Lord, I want it to be my experience. You said you are no respecter of persons. You said you will grant repentance to anybody. Those who seek intelligently will find him. Lord, have I found you? Have I found you? You see, ask, you, ask yourself this question. This Let's not go through this year without having any subjective experience with God. You know, Akshat gave me a book uh, by A.W. Tozer. It's a 12 chapter book where he says, he talks about several people in the Bible who had subjective experiences with God. And you know what Tozer says? Many of the Christians, they think that they are Christian without having this experience. But let me tell you something. There is something you have to experience about God. Unless and until you have that divine encounter, you are never a true believer. Something would have happened to you you would have experienced a touch of God in your heart. And after that, you'll never be the same. Like the way Jacob was never the same. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, all the burdens of my heart were rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the way. Happy, blessed. Are you really blessed every day? The question, is that my experience? No, I don't think. I'll tell you why. Because we are all crippled by fear. So what does the gospel do? It comes and breaks the power of fear. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were lifetime subject to bondage. Bondage. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but that you have received the spirit of adoption. That's the problem. You see, we have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba Father. You know what? When did Jesus cry out, Abba Father? You know when did Jesus cry out, Abba Father? When he was at the garden of Gethsemane, he was dripping sweats of blood and he knew for a fact that now he's going to be separated from the Father. You know what he said? Daddy. Daddy, please, Daddy. 
Daddy, please. That's exactly what my daughter says when she's like really, really in trouble. Daddy, please. Daddy, don't leave me. Daddy, please. Daddy, hug me. Daddy, I'm feeling so scared. Daddy, I had a bad dream. Daddy, hold me. That is what he said. No, Daddy, hold me. Daddy, that is what he said. And he said, you know what? You have the same spirit of adoption. I'll tell you the problem though here is because we're not adopted. Let me tell you honestly. Some some orphans in our, in our, in our church, and you'll see, you know what? We are all, by default, we are all orphans. You know, it's like, you know, I'll tell you an experience of, let's say you have a teenager who comes into a, you might have that, had that experience in your own, uh, in our own GSS, a teenager who comes to the orphanage. Okay? Now, he's accepted, right? But you know what happens? He's always under fear. If people scold him, he will say, why did they scold me? Do they love me? Do they love me? And then, when you put food on the table, how do they eat? I don't know if they'll feed me the next meal. You see, it's not easy for them to really experience sonship because they have never been under the adopt and under the real fatherhood of God. And many of us are like that. Adopted children, we are still fearing. Oh, what will God do? What will God do? What? And therefore, we are never free. We are never free to give, give to God. We are never free to serve God. We are never free to forgive God because we have really, really not experienced God as our father. You're still crippled by fear. Oh, saints, let me tell you honestly, this is the cry of my heart. You know, I had this for me, for my own. Say, Lord, Lord, because I have this in my heart all the time. Lord, I should earn, Lord. I should earn. Because we, we've been taught in this generation, you should work hard. You should do. I'm not saying that you should not work hard, but that is not the motive. It is not to gain acceptance. It is because we are accepted. There's a completely different, there's a complete difference between the two. The gospel puts something ahead. It puts forgiveness ahead. It puts acceptance ahead. It puts love ahead. It says, you know what? Vijay, I love you. It's assurance. It's assurance. I did not call you because you're worthy. You are called and I'm going to make you worthy. That's Beckett. Um, I mentioned that some time back. See, that is our call. We are not called because we are worthy. God called us to make us worthy. Otherwise, you know, we are just trying to do the other way and we will never go ahead with God. So what happens? You know, remember Zacchaeus? When Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Why? What happened, Zacchaeus? I'm going to come to your house. What did I do? Nothing. I just love you. Unconditionally. Unconditionally love you. You want to come to my house? The most holy man? It's just not... Anybody, it's God. Oh. oh, have you ever felt that? When you read the Bible, do you feel wonder like that? This is God who's coming to Zacchaeus' house. It is God who's coming to live with me. It is God who's going to marry me. You see. And then what happens to Zacchaeus? Behold, Lord, half my goods. You know what? Suddenly something happens. The fear that crippled him just suddenly gets released. Lord, half my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, 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 salvation. You know why? Because he is also the son of Abraham. He's trying to be a son. Now I'm telling you he's already a son. And because he's already as a son, that is what he's doing now. It's not because he's doing it and accepting him. 
you have accepted him and therefore he does this. Why? Because the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It is not those people who are righteous who need a physician. It is those people who are unrighteous who need a physician. You might have heard a hundred times, but the fact of the matter is many of us have not experienced it. Otherwise it will show in our lives. Where is the song? Where is the joy? Where is worship? You see, it, everything will change in our lives. John's Gospel chapter 4, another example. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. This lady was hiding shame and guilt and fear. Fear of the people, what they will say. So many of us crippled by that kind of a fear. Of guilt, we have given up. We have given up. We are not going to try even. We have resigned ourselves to our fate that this is what we are going to be for the rest of our lives. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Who said that you are what you, what you are? You, you've, you've resigned yourself. You, this is exactly what you say. It's a very interesting discourse in Book of Judges. The angel of the Lord gathers all those people, the twelve tribes. He has given them the land. He said, "This is the land I have. What given you? Go in and possess it." And what happens? Reuben does this much. They could not. Uh, Benjamin, they could not. Ephraim, they could not. Manasseh, they could not. Uh, Asher, they could not. Issachar, they could not. 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 And the angel of the Lord brings all of them and he summons all of them and he says, you know what? It is not because you could not. It is because you would not. It is because you would not. I have given you the land. I declared you that this land is yours. But you have resigned yourself to the faith and say, you know what? This is what all I am. This is what I'm, I'll be. And you know, lifelong, you have reduced your God. Reduced your God. Okay. Go call your husband. I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband for you had five husbands and the one that you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know what happens? <laughs> Look at, so the woman left her water jar, went away to the town, said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything. Is he not the Christ? Is he not the Christ? Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you really? Where you can publicly say, you know, this is what I was. This is what God has done for me. And I remember this man, no, he had a, I, th- I think I mentioned this, David Poston in one of his uh, sermons, he mentions this. This guy who was a rock band guy, you know, rock band guy who gets saved. Okay. And he has a tattoo on his back. A huge tattoo of Satan on his back. Okay. On his back or on his chest, I don't know. And then he wants to get baptized. In the church, people who, the, the, the church that he was going to, who gave him the gospel, the people who were getting baptized had to wear white shirts. Okay. When they go into the waters of baptism, everything would show. And this guy was really getting ashamed. He said, Lord, I don't want to show because Satan is there. Inscribed on me. I don't want to obey you in the waters of baptism. But you know what he said? Lord, forget it. Let the people know what I was. I will obey you in the waters of baptism. And what he does, he goes into the waters of baptism. Okay? This is true. Okay, This is David Pawson. He's not a liar for sure. You can check him out. Okay? He, he just goes into the waters of baptism and even as he comes out, literally that tattoo just falls off, comes out of his shirt and disappears into the water. 
You know what it tells me, you know? The moment you break that fear and say, Lord, this is what I truly am. You know what God says? Boy, I'm impressed. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a miracle in your life. Gone! Who is going to say that you're a son of Satan now anymore? Your past is written off. The handwriting of ordinances that was against you was nailed to the cross. It was taken out and that fellow has been disarmed. He can never condemn you anymore. You know what? I read that. Miracles do happen. If it can happen to him, why not to us? Many of us would not have sinned like that man for sure. But do we really believe? Oh boy, that's that's true, saints. That is true. That is true. This is a God who is real. And we have to experience the real God. I remember Sister Elsa praying during the fasting and prayer. She said, Lord, let us have an encounter with the true Jesus. Let it just not be a prayer at the end of the year. Experience him. When you read the scriptures, let him reveal himself to you. Know that God has spoken to you. Okay. Romans chapter 8. What shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be? Against us. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Why will he not freely with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ is the one who died, etc., etc. Six rhetorical questions. Answer them for yourself. I'm not going to go into that. But what does, what does, what keeps people in perpetual darkness otherwise? Why? Why do people not openly confess? What hinders them is a question. In John's Gospel chapter 3 verses 16 to 7, this is what it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Heard it several times. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then he says, this is the condemnation of the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved darkness. Oh, they loved it. Why did they love darkness? What was it that was hindering them? In John's Gospel chapter 12, this is what Jesus will say. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed him. But, what? Read everything. But, for fear of the Pharisees. What was this Pharisees? What is this fear of Pharisees? How does it manifest itself? Oh, they loved the glory. You see, fear and love, you see that? Perfect love casts out all fear. They say, you know what? We love the glory of men. We love him. We want to know what this person thinks about me. You see, that fellow has become an idol in your life. That fellow's approval only matters. See? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And God says, you have misplaced fears. And therefore he tells to his disciples, he says in Matthew chapter 10, he says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or any or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body. Rather fear him who can kill both soul and body and put you in hell. You see, the spirit of fear, by the way, the spirit of the love of approval of man will never go off easily. It'll never go. It is such a what do you call mundi sin. Mundi means stubborn. Mundi is actually, you know, when we speak in the regional languages, has more effect. Mundi, you know, mundi, gada. 
నేను పోను ఐఎమ్ నాట్ లీవింగ్ దిస్ ఇస్ ఎగ్జాక్ట్లీ వాట్ ఇట్ ఇస్ హీ ఈస్ అ స్టబన్ ఫెలో ఇట్ విల్ ఎఫెక్ట్ ద బెస్ట్ ఆఫ్ డిసైపుల్స్ అండ్ ద మోస్ట్ హోలియస్ట్ ఆఫ్ సైన్స్ బికట్ వాట్ ఇట్ సైజ్ ఇన్ గలేషియన్స్ చాప్టర్ టూ వర్స్ లెవెన్ బట్ వెన్ సేఫర్స్ కేమ్ టు యాంటియాక్ దిస్ ఇస్ పాల్ ఐ అపోజ్ హిమ్ టు హిస్ ఫేస్ బికాస్ హీ స్టూడ్ కండెమ్డ్ వై for before certain men came from james he was eating with the gentiles you see okay <laughs> he was enjoying fellowship but when they came he drew back and separated themselves himself why everybody read that fearing the circum wal em anukuntaro ore you see fearing you see how it cripples the most that's the reason why it, you know the song right we sang that song prone to wander oh lord i feel it <laughs> you see we could go astray like that in this guy it's a stubborn spirit saints to tell me vijay pastor is to tell me vijay you are a fearful guy I'm a, I, honestly you know this is something which i can't preach With, only by faith i'm preaching bigger ask my dad okay when vijay what is vijay pirikivadu means he is a fearful he is a coward he is a darpok i mean that's exactly what my name was right from the right from childhood bhayam 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 fear 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 uh, elocution competition my dad used to wants me to go that was the idol he did elocution he has to go to elocution competition i said papa no way i am not doing this no way i mean it's an irony right <laughs> Now preaching, teaching in triple IT to 200 students in the class, that's a fantastic thing that happened in my life. I can never thought I'll be teaching for 200 students in a classroom. Unbelievable. You know, God has the way to deal with your fears. He does it. Only in a measure though. Even today, I still fear. Timid. Fear. It's there. It's crippling. It's crippling. So many of us crippled. You know why you are sneaky, some of you? I'll tell you why you are sneaky. You want to gain approval by your actions. You, that's the reason why Jesus says what, where God sees in secret, He will reward you openly. What you are in secret what you, is what you really are. That is when we really know that you are not seeking for approval from men. Okay. So the gospel does that. It takes away the fear so what happens and the rest of the jews acted hypocritically along with him <laughs> you see that when 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 peter does it you see what happens when one guy stumbles especially in a leadership position peter reason na i can also do it so barnabas was also slowly but when i saw this man you know that is the reason why cs lewis says pride or humility is not thinking great about yourself it is not even thinking less about yourself it is thinking about you less he is absolutely cares to hoots and he looked at peter and he says this guy who's a recent convert young man he said what are you doing peter what are you doing okay let's move on so how do we have to how do we deal with this how do we deal with this have no fear how do we deal with having no fear how do we deal this you see the gospel has to do the first part deal with your acceptance come to jesus openly say 
Lord, this is what I do. It's very simple, no? It is very simple. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. It's very simple. Gospel is very, very, very simple. It is we who try to make complicated by preaching it. Because we want to look very clever. Too much sermon. You see, we want the opinions of men rather than communicating the point. You see? It's very simple. Confess your sins. And he is faithful and just tell God this is what you really are. This is what I am, Lord. Save me from it. It's gone. Okay. But the problem there is, we not stop there, right? The gospel does something for us. And the gospel does something in us. Okay. You see, there is something through substitution that God does. The government is upon his shoulder. He says, come unto me, all that he labor. And are heavy laden. And I'll give, cast your cares upon me. And I will give you rest. I will accept you. The way you are. But the problem point is, I will not keep you the way you are. Something will happen to you. When you experience God in that way, there is a burst of love inside of you. It's an objective change. I'll tell you, the, I, I, I repeat this over and over again. First thing, after I got converted, when I came back home, you know what the first thing I did? Took the jhadu. Took the jhadu and started sweeping. And my mother really came and This is really, this is what has happened. It's a change. It will happen to you. It, this is not out of compulsion. Nobody need tell you something happens deep inside. You know what it says? The love of God has been what? Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. It's a deposit. Now we start behaving the way God wants us to behave incrementally. But how does it God do it? Look at what he says. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. We love him because he first loved us. Did you experience that? The point is that. The point is you have to experience. I mean, I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what, what I'm, when I say experience, it doesn't have to be like an apparition. Thus says the Lord, no. It's something deep down inside. It happens to you. You're never the same again. You remember, I, I, you have to l- read the conversion experiences of so many people, right? You l- listen to Spurgeon's conversion experience. This guy is going to church fully, full of guilt. On the Sunday morning, he's going to church and it's snowing like crazy. So he finds a, finds a small church, that is not his church. To escape from the snowstorm, he gets into the church. And that day, the preacher who's supposed to preach doesn't come because of the snowstorm. So who, who gets up? The layman gets up. And he takes the Bible, goes to Isaiah chapter 44 and he says, look unto me and be saved. He just reads scripture for five minutes and he looks at that Spurgeon over there and he says, young man, the Lord is telling you, look up to me and be saved. That's it. He says, I came into a snowstorm with fear and when I went out, the storm has passed out of my life. It's amazing. You know that that is true. It is true. Something happens inside. And some for some people it may not be so dramatic, but it happens. It happens. You'll see it in your life. Okay, so we don't love him because we he first loved us. And this will change our attitude toward everything. 
You know, first thing it will uh, it'll change our attitude. It'll change our attitude towards money. I'm telling you honestly. It'll change our attitude toward money. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you forsake you. So we can confidently say, what can we say? So we can confidently say, let us read this. The Lord is my, I will not. Ah, is it true? Think about your giving, no? 10%. Okay. Out of the way. Why? I'll tell you. Because it's fear. Because pastor keeps on telling, you'll be cursed with a curse. Why this curse? Get it out of the way. 10%. Now don't tell me anything, okay? You see, we are all 10%. We are, we are actually old covenant still fearful. We still haven't released our hands. We will never experience God because you know, we still fear. We still fear. We still fear. Ask yourself this question. When you came to the Lord, how has your giving changed? Oh boy, it's something. I'm telling you when I'm speaking like this, this is not because I have attained it. I am the one who has to listen to the sermon. Because honestly speaking, there was a fear of provision in my life. Fear! Crippled by that. You ask my wife, she'll tell me she was the one who bared the brunt of the whole thing. Postponing and postponing and postponing and postponing the call of God. Postponing. Lord, this is not important. What will happen to me? And every time you tell uh, you are going to become a pastor, everybody will touch that fear point. You know what they'll say? What are you going to do for a living? I mean, this is exactly what my external examiner said. Salary kaha se aayega? Let me tell you honestly now today. God is my witness. I'm not boasting. You know what my heart is, Lord? <laughs> I don't work for you for that. I don't work for you for that. I have tested God. Probably not as much as Pastor James and sisters, but I have tested God in my life. I can honestly say this is subjective. Even my wife doesn't know it. Know it. My wife also doesn't know it. I've secretly done that. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I have experienced that. I'm telling you saints, it can happen to you if you believe. This is true. Sometimes you want to hear some conceptual sermon, but this is true. It is a testimony. Absolutely. And you, if you will come to Pastor James, he will tell you stories of how God came through in his life. And you will put your head in. Ah. Every time I listen to it, I say, Lord, this is too much, Lord. But you know what God says? What is plan B for you? Is there another option? Like Sam? Is there another option? No. No. No plan B. So Lord, against all odds, this man has survived. You have to listen to him. God comes through, comes through, comes through. You have to sit with your elders sometimes to know subjectively how it happens. And I'll tell you something, that faith will rub onto you. Oh boy, this is my, truly, I'm telling you, from the bottom of my heart, I will not fear. Today I can tell you, at least to a certain extent. I know, you know why I can tell you? Because there's one promise. God is not going to allow more than I, I can. There, that is how I can tell you. 
Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8. I say this not as a command. What is the command? Tithe. 10% is on who? Cursed. That is what many pastor, pastors will say. Tithe is Your tithes have not come. Brother, no tithes. Curse. I'll tell you boy. Tithes. Tithes. Really? The young widow gave her, I mean the poor widow gave her tithes? Tithes? Hmm? You know, if if the old covenant was tithes, and if you are under the covenant of grace, it's what we call God's much more, right? That's what Paul says, right? As you have obeyed in my absence, obey much more. I'm sorry, in my presence, much more in my absence. If in the cold covenant, 10%, what about new covenant, 10%? Oh, really? Then you have really not experienced God. You know, if people come and say, how much should I give? Should I watch movies? Really? Watch movies? That's not, is that where you are? Is that where you are? You have never experienced God. If I tell you, I don't even want to tell you whether to watch movies or not. Make a decision. You see? But I say to you, as this is a command, but to prove, sorry, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is what? Genuine. And then he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that by you by his poverty might be made rich. And you know what happens to the Macedonian believers? You know what they give? More than. More than. And Paul is challenging the Corinthians. He says, look at these believers guys. Look at them. Look at the quality of their lives. Look at the quality of their giving. Challenging them. Luke's Gospel chapter 12. Fear not little flock. Fear not little flock. For it is good pleasure. For, for its father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Whose good pleasure? Fathers. Have you experienced him as a father? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Ah. Why? I'll tell you why. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give the give you the kingdom. So, sell your possessions. Provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old. With, treasure, with a treasure in heaven that will not fail. Where no thief approaches and mo- no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where is your treasure? That is what the point is. Will you sell everything? That's exactly what happened to the rich, rich young ruler. He went away sad because he was very... Rich, sell everything you have. You will have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? What should I, what good thing I should do to attain eternal life? Then I'll tell you, sell everything. Don't ask me that one thing. It's just not money, saints. And I remember Tim Keller talking about in, in during his, uh, one of his, uh, uh, periods in his life, this lady was working for Wall Street. She was making a packet during the good times in Wall Street. Okay. Half a million dollar take home. And one, and she was one of the be- biggest givers in the church. And after 2008, what had happened was there was a depression and she lost her job and she had to completely radically change her lifestyle. And then she came to Tim Keller and she said, you know what? When I was working, I could give away a lot of my money. But now, I can give away all my time. It's still a giver. Still a giver. 
still alive. It's a heart attitude, saints. It's just not the quantity, it is the quality of your life that matters. Okay. Second, why should this be important? Because the government is upon his shoulder. And when we really experience that in our lives, what happens to us, we will also start taking government upon our shoulder. Why? Not because we want to gain his approval. It is because we have gained his approval already. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. I like that word scruples. Those fellows will keep on doing mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. Bear with them. You know, scruples of the weak. And not to please yourself. Let each one of you please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Why? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached fell upon me. You see that? How it comes first because you have experienced the goodness of God and therefore that goodness of God turns into action. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Oh, let me tell you something, my dear brothers and sisters in our church. We have robbers in our church. I'll tell you how people rob. They take money and conveniently forget. And after that, they will never ask for the phone call. This is unbelievable. You know, I was also like that. I'm not indicting anybody. When I was, I, I, I took money from a lot of people, my friends. Friends, are chalta chalta. And I started reading Psalms 37. The wicked borrows and do not repay. You know what? When you read that something like that, you can't close your text. Wicked borrow and do not repay? Oh Lord, I said, I just closed. I'm telling you honestly, that day the fear of the Lord came upon me and I said, I took a piece of paper and I wrote down all my creditors' names. Okay. Some fellows forgot me also. And they called me names. Justifiably. Chore. Chore! Will you, will you accept that you are a chore? If you have t- uh, taken money from people and now not repaid? And I started. Most of them were in US and Canada. And some fellows also remembered precisely how much I owed them. In the middle of the night also. So I called this fellow Avnish Hingorani. Okay, that fellow is a Sindhi. Okay, Hingorani, Motwani, Lalwani, Adwani and of course Ambani. Okay. So I called this me. Amnish. I mean, this was in the middle of the night. I was calling from India to Canada. This fellow is in the middle of the uh, middle of the sleep. He got up. Amnish is Vijay. Vijay. Ah, Vijay. Who? Which Vijay? I was your roommate. Ah, you owe me two hundred dollars. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I owe you two hundred dollars. Okay, let me do something. Please, can you tell me your mother's address, the parents' address? I'll transfer the money from here. This is the current rate of Canadian dollar and it was appreciated. You know, when you want to exchange, the exchange value is always to your disadvantage. Thank you. Uh-huh. The dollar value was something then and now it has appreciated. That fellow has actually given interest. I gave him back with interest basically. Okay. Because I never repaid him in dollars. I repaid him back in rupees. Interesting. And I had to do with that with everybody. Until that time, I was a chore. I was chore. Oh boy, I'll tell you something. I've seen it in, in, in Christendom people. They have no conscience at all. 
Which God are they worshipping? And when Bible says, don't steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to... Did you really... See, when you really experience God, this is what happens to you. There's something that changes deep down inside. It is not because you want to get accepted by God. No, 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 no. You have already been accepted and you say, Lord, I am your child. How can I be a chore? Is Christ chore? No. If I bear your name, how can I be a chore? If I bear your name, how can I beg? Is Christ a beggar? He says, I am, I am indebted to no man. That's what he said. How can a God who is my father, who does not owe anybody anything, his son owes somebody something. There's something wrong really, saints. You know why? Because we have not apprehended and appreciated the gospel. There was never a subjective, real, real subjective encounter with God. Honestly, and that is the reason why our shallow, shallow Christian lives. Let me say that categorically. Hmm. Another place. Submit. Ho, ho. Especially submission, it comes to everybody. This fellow is going to take advantage of me. Let them take advantage. Take, let them take advantage of me. Look at this is with the context of a marriage. But look at what it says. There's a principle here. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This fellow will tell me, don't fear. That's what happened to Sarah, not once, twice. She called him Lord. No, this is what happens when you experience the gospel subjectively. What happens is that you say, Lord, I don't want to be a burden, but I want to take burden. I don't want to be a thief, but I want to be a giver. I don't want to be tight-fisted. I want to have my hands released. When I look at a brother, if you say you really love God, and if you hate your brother, you're a liar. You're a charge of beast. That is what says 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 420. Really? You know, if you look at your brother and he says, Oh, brother, be warm and go home. You're, and you don't give him anything for him. And he's in need. You know what's going to happen to you? When you are in need, God will just put his hands like this. And don't let me, let me tell you, God is going to bring us all to that point. Hmm? Ask God this season. Lord, open my eyes that I may see and experience you, Lord. Experience you so much that there will be an absolute change in my life. You know what Paul tells Timothy? He says, let your conversion be known to all men. Let them see your conversion. And that's challenging. Let them experience how you got converted. Let them see the way you're changing. So that when you change, people will look at your life and they'll say they want to follow that example. Why? Bible always ends with a warning, right? Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. What the? Read, let's read that. Fearful will be in second death. Fearful, said second death. Fearful, second death. Let's just blind everything else. 
we are definitely not murderers. Maybe we are unbelieving. We are not whoremongers. We are not sorcerers. Definitely idolaters. We are all liars. Oh yeah, we are liars. Hmm? Second death. This season, Lord, I want to experience you, Lord. And you know what happens? There will be a freedom. And you will become so unconscious about your life. When you even give, you are not even conscious about it. That is the reason why, you know, Paul says, I don't even want appreciation from you. I don't even appreciate myself. Even if my conscience is clear with God and with man, I still don't say, Sabash Paul. Sabash, I don't say that. If nobody is giving Sabash, let me say Sabash to myself. No, he doesn't say that. You know what I say? I only look for appraisal from God. But during the meantime, I'll be absolutely unconscious about myself. Even in my giving, I will not. What are you doing? I'm just giving. I'm just, it's, it's, it's just a flow. You want that life? It's seamless. You're so unconscious. You know, we were talking about, um, um, uh, the what is a narrow path? Uh, this is the last time this year, so let me have the last word. Not me from this pulpit, but for myself. Um, if it's just, uh, Timothy Keller talks about this. What is the narrow path, he asks. Um, and when you, and, uh, and if, somebody, if, you ask, if somebody asks you this question, what is a narrow path? You will say, a man who is living in pleasure. Yeah, maybe. Yes, that is definitely. A man who doesn't care. Having a promiscuous lifestyle, etc., etc., you will say that guy is certainly on the broad path, not on the narrow path. But you know what God says? If your righteous acts are before men, even if you are fasting, can somebody say a guy who is fasting is on the broad path or on the narrow path? Huh? Huh? Yeah, Romans Bible study already know answer. Oh, they all said, brought, no, narrow path, he's fasting. No, I said, no, 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 no. Hold on. If he's fasting, and he wants everybody to know that he's fasting, he's on the, if he's giving, ichna, 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 ichna. Ichna. Remember that, Mantegar Vyayankadu? You know that cinema? You know The photo of all the people come. He's, he's donating 10 rupees. And all the people, you know what is, is he, is he, is he denying himself? Yes, he's denying himself, but is he on the broad path or on the narrow path? Hmm. And then actually, uh, uh, Mark was commenting, some people, even if they give secretly, they still are on the broad path. You know why? Because they're still expecting somebody will know. Ah. You know what that means? A Christian life is a life of absolute unconsciousness about self. It doesn't matter whether you are giving in secret or you are giving openly. It's the attitude of the heart. You are so involved. You are engrossed in this love. Lord, how much you love me, how much you love me. You want something, take it. How much you love me, forgiveness, take it. Oh, how much? This is what you are. How much you love me, how much you love me, how much you love me. How much? This is your experience and therefore everything else is easy. Strive to enter into that rest, saints. The end of this year. Experience that gospel in your life. If you don't really experience that gospel, we'll never. You see, you don't want to go through GTC <laughs> and never experience the gospel. 
Let it not happen to us, saints. Let it not happen to us. Amen. Amen. Shall we be freed to serve God? Let's all ask God this evening and say, Lord, touch my heart. Touch my heart, Lord. Touch my heart. Take my heart and let it be, O Lord. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite with I withhold. O Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to your blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love from mingled down, did e'er such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown. Where the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let that be your prayer this evening. Oh Father, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Bless us with that gift this evening. In Jesus name, Amen.